family moved here from Arizona, and Arizona does not do the time change thing. All right, yes, exactly. They don't do that whole thing. And just when you get used to it, then they change it up on you again. And so what I would just also want to just mention is, um, you know, if on our way out there's people coming in, make sure you shame them for, for messing up. No, I'm just kidding. Don't shame them for messing up and missing it. Um, aren't you thankful for cell phones, though? They kind of help quite a bit. How many of you would have missed it had it not been for your cell phone? Anyone like that? Yes, a few. Yes. You're admitting it. Very good. So thankful for cell phones. They do help uh, quite a bit. Uh, I'll just tell you one story. Years ago, when I, was, I did a lot of inner city work, I was in, in college, and in, in kind of Bible college, seminary type thing. And I was doing inner city work, and there was this young, young man. His name uh, was Mitchell. And I kind of was mentoring him. He was probably 12, 13 at the time. And uh, he grew up in kind of inner city. And, uh, and so I'd take him with me to church. I'd pick him up and take him. But I'd always say, you need to be up. You need to be on time. You need to be awake, all of these things, you know. And I was trying to teach him. I said, you need to have discipline. You need to have character. And you need to be on top of things. And so, uh, and, and he responded really well. And by the way, he is, he is a, a man of God. He's doing great. And uh, God is really working in his life. And, and he's a, now a youth mentor, a youth pastor. So it's cool to see many years later how God worked in his life. But I'll never forget this. I went to pick him up. My wife and I swung by to pick him up. And I knocked on the door. And he, I mean, typical, about 13-year-old teenager, still half asleep. I mean, just, I mean, he's still in a shorts, T-shirt, you know, just kind of like half out of it. And I said, what is wrong with you? You're going to make me late. I said, you need to get up and get moving. Let's go. I said, I'm going to, I don't want to hear it. He goes, but, but brother Joe, but brother, I said, be quiet. You have 10 minutes. No excuses. I'll be back. And so I leave and I'm, I'm hot, you know, and I'm everything about this whole love series. I was not doing it by the way, you know. And I was not happy, and I told my wife, I'm a, this is what I'm talking about. Young people these days, what's wrong with them, you know? And so I wait about 10 minutes, and I go back up, and I pound on the door. And he's still not dressed yet. Still not dressed. I said, what's wrong with you? I said, let's go. You're going to make me late, you know, because I had youth work to do, and we need to get to the city. And he says, but, but, but Brother Joe, it's time change, and we get an extra hour. <laughs> and I'm looking at him, and I was like, I felt this big, you know, here I am chewing this kid out. And I was like, I'll see you in about an hour, you know. Well, then I had to go back and face my wife because my wife, she was so angry when she found out. We could have got an extra hour of sleep and we messed it up. Needless to say, thank God he forgave me. Amen. My wife still hasn't forgiven me for messing that one up because we could have had an extra hour. Uh, look with me in 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to continue our series on, on love. And let's just read this together, verses 1 through 5. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, what does love look like? This is what Paul says. This agape love, love is patient. We covered that one. Love is kind. It is 
does not envy, it's not jealous, the Bible says. It does not boast, it does not brag, it's not proud, the scripture says. And then notice verse 5. It does not dishonor others. We spent some time on that one last week. Or we would say this, it's not rude. Some versions will say that love is not rude. Now notice this, it is not self-seeking. We're going to look at these next few this morning. Love is not. What is love not? It is not self-seeking. Or we would say, a way we would say it today would be it's not selfish. Love is not selfish. It is not easily angered or easily provoked. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Let's pray just for a moment. Lord, I pray you'd bless the very brief time that we have this morning in your word. Lord, I know that many people have. Yes, we've lost an hour of sleep. But I pray that, Lord, you would help us to be attentive to your word and pay attention and to take it and to really listen to what you have for us today, Lord, from your word. We pray, Lord, that you would bless it. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, in this area of love, that we would truly desire to love the way that you have called us to love and is so needed in our culture, in our society, and especially here in this country, Lord, there's a great need for true love. Lord, I pray that you would just bless the short time we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we've been studying, very briefly, just love is not just a feeling, okay? Love, scriptural love, biblical love, is not just a romance, okay? Love is not uh, just a word that we say, but what we're studying is this, is clearly love is a choice. Love is a choice. And Paul, as we speak about this subject of, of love, that it's, we have to choose to love. Again, it's not just a feeling, it's not just an emotion, but love is truly a choice. And, and Paul begins to tell us what love looks like. What true, biblical, Christ-like love looks like. He tells us what it doesn't look like and what it does look like. And so we've been studying this passage out. We've been breaking this down. And we've been looking, really, each week at some of these thoughts of what love is. Let's just jump into this week's because I think we could spend some time here. But notice what he says. He says that love here in verse number five is not self-seeking. Or we would say this, love is not selfish. Okay, so love is this, that we choose not to be selfish. Love is that we choose not to be self-seeking. Do you know a lot of times when people begin in a relationship or they're falling in love, a lot of times it's not the way the Bible teaches it, but a lot of times it's what can this person give me? What does this relationship have for me? What do I get out of this relationship? Can I tell you something? If that's our attitude about a relationship, it's not the right attitude. If that's what we think love is or falling in love or being, quote, in a relationship, if it's what does this person have to offer me? I'll give you an example. Many years ago, uh, and it, I'll be honest, it kind of bothered me, Okay. It kind of bothered me. They had this guy in our church, and he was a good man. Hopefully, he doesn't watch this. Uh, he, doesn't, he, he could with Facebook and Facebook Live. He may end up watching it, but it's okay. I won't name him by name. But he would always say to people, he, he, he thought that he was just wise beyond his years, and he was one of the older men in church, and, and he meant well, but he would say this. He would always say, I mean, and a lot of times, I told him, I said, don't, please 
stop talking to my kids about this stuff. He'd always, first of all, he was this older guy who was always pushing dating and pushing kids, you know. And so as soon as a new guy walked in, all the girls were like, oh, a new guy. And he's like, did you check that one out? You know, and he was just really weird like that. But he would always say this. He'd walk around and all of a sudden he'd walk up to one of the young men and he'd say, do you have your list? And they'd be like, what do you mean list? He goes, do you have your list? Do you have your list of all the qualities and all the things that you, you know, that you want in your mate, in the person you're going to marry? And that just used to sit with me wrong because I'm like, this is, listen, this is not Costco, okay? (laughs) This is not Walmart. Do you have your list? And, and I would remember that sometimes, you know, naive, young, and they meant well, and he meant well, but they would, all of a sudden, they'd have a list. And by the way, for most guys, way at the top, must be beautiful, you know? <laughs> you know, six foot two, whatever, I don't know, whatever their preference was. And I was like, are you serious? And they, had, they you know, they said, you have your list. And the idea is this, is that basically you have this list and, and you got it, you know, and they have to have all these things that they have to offer you in order for you to have this relationship. And can I tell you something that w- true love is not what can I get out of this person or what can I get from it? Much rather, the Bible tells us it's the opposite. It's what can I give? You know, sad to say, a lot of times even when it comes to churches and things like that, it's, what does this church have to offer me? And we don't realize, but it should be, what do I have to offer this church? Are you with me? But so many times it's this attitude of, well, what am I going to get from this? And the Bible tells us that true love, true, biblical, genuine, authentic, real love Paul says it's not selfish, it's not self-seeking, and it's not about what I can get or about me, but rather the scripture tells us about looking out for the needs of others. A few passages quickly. 1 Corinthians 10 says this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. He says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Paul, writing to the same church that we're studying here, here at the Corinthian church, he has to keep reminding them, because why? As we've studied, this church became selfish. They became self-centered. They became uh, boastful and proud and arrogant, and they were only looking out for themselves. And Paul says to this church, he says, you need to be reminded that true love is looking out for the needs of others. Look what he says to the church at Philippi, the Philippian church in Philippians 2. Notice what he says in chapter 2. He says, then make my joy complete. Paul writing to a completely different church. But notice what he says, but by being like-minded, having the same, notice this, love. Having the same love, being one in spirit and in one mind. Notice what he says, do nothing out of what? Selfish ambition." Or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself. True love is valuing others. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How can I be a blessing to someone else? How can I meet someone else's needs? How can I help someone else? And other people's needs 
become more important than our own needs. By the way, that is not, that is not the culture we live in today, is it? You see, true love is this, is, is giving the bigger piece of cake to someone else. True, authentic love is not just trying to always be the first in line, right? When we all leave here and everybody's going to go out to the restaurant. My father always used to say, uh, at the end, my, my father, we, he was a pastor, and he would say, let's hurry up and pray so we can get in line and beat all the selfish people uh, down, at the, down at the restaurant, you know? Let's hurry up and pray and get out of here. But the, the fact of the matter is, true, genuine love is looking out for the needs of others. Not what's in it for me or what about me or what will I get, but it's really, it should be what can I give. Our society is filled with self-centered and selfish people. We've created an environment filled with narcissists. That everything is about me and I and myself and what can I get from it. And our culture is seeing it, and it's more and more prevalent each and every day. Selfishness. Selfishness is destroying marriages, destroying homes. And sad to say, selfishness has destroyed many churches. People have their own agendas and their own ambitions. And before long, what happens is this, is many times over the silliest things and silliest preferences, many times churches fall apart And it is not because of the gospel. It has nothing to do. Many times churches have have fractions and friction. And we see even here in the Corinthian church where the church, there was jealousy and anger and bitterness and all kinds of feuding and fighting. And it wasn't even over important things like the gospel. And isn't it sad, but many churches, many times, many churches have arguing and bickering and fighting and all of these things because certain person or certain group of people, they have their agenda. And I got to have my way. And if I can't have my way, I'm leaving and I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. Come on now. I remember out in the playground. It's as, as old school as the playground. I remember out in the playground, we'd get together and we'd play, you know, we'd play ball or we'd play baseball and we'd get out there, wiffle ball or whatever. And as soon as someone didn't like the call or someone didn't like something, the one who brought the ball or the bat would say, that's it. I'm taking my bat and I'm going home. And they would leave and we're all standing there like, what are we going to do now? How many of you ever remember those days? But it's sad that many times... It happens in homes and families, in churches. The Bible tells us that, on the contrary, that we are to be generous. That true love is, if you think about it like this, if true love is not selfish, then what is it? True love is what? It's generous. If we know what it's not, then we do know what it is. And it means that true love is, is to be generous and to be giving. Look at 2 Corinthians 9. Paul, again, later writes another letter to this church. And look what he says in 2 Corinthians 9. He says uh, that we should be giving. I don't know if they have it up there or not. Pardon me? All right, I'll read it for you. 2 Corinthians 9. Look what it says here. Verses 6 through 8. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Notice this, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You see, it says, God loves a what? Cheerful giver, a generous, a person who's generous. He says, God's going to make sure he takes care of them. You know, when we give, God blesses us and he says, you know what? I can trust you. And he even says that he'll make all grace abound to us. And Paul tells this church, he says, don't give grudgingly. Don't, don't, you know, don't, don't be stingy and don't be greedy. He says, remember what you sow, you're going to reap. The seeds you plant is going to come back to you. You'll reap a harvest. And he tells the church, as we study here, he says, listen, he says, true love is not selfish. Later, he writes a letter and he says, hey, when you give, don't do it grudgingly, but be a cheerful giver. The literal, the, the literal language there means this, be a hilarious giver. Like, it should bring you so much joy that I mean, you, you're, you're just kind of giddy when you get to give. You know what I love is every time someone gives in the giving box, you'd hear someone laughing when they put it in. I haven't heard that yet, have you? <laughs> you know, could you imagine all this? Now, someone's going to do it on the way out. And I know, it's, where's Dale? Is he with the, it's going to be Dale. I know it's going to be Dale. Right? Dale's just going to be like, ha, 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 ha. There you go, pastor. A little bit of sarcasm there. But I know it's going to be you, Dale. Amen, brother. But I mean, when was the last time, you know, when, it was, when it's our opportunity to give that we just say, man, this is awesome. And we're not just talking about giving to the church, but when God calls us to give and to be a blessing to someone else. He says, don't do it grudgingly. I love this passage, Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3, we do have that one. Listen to what he says. The Bible says this, keep on loving one another. By the way, can I say that again? Keep on loving one another. Keep doing it. He says, as brothers and sisters. He goes on to say, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those... I like this. Those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. You see what he says? He says, keep loving one another. Continue to love one another as brothers and sisters. And, and some might say, well, okay, well, I love my church family, or I love my, my wife, or I love my daughter, or I love my sister, and I love my brother, and that's all important. But did you, did you catch something there? He says, let, let this brotherly love continue. Let this agape love continue. But it doesn't stop there. He says, it's interesting what he says, because what he says is, hey, love strangers too. And then he tells us something amazing. The scripture tells us that as we love people that maybe we don't even know and we demonstrate love, this Christ-like love, that we might even be entertaining or helping or taking care of an angel, one of God's messengers, without even knowing it. Now, how cool is that? 
Maybe the person that asked for help or we should be helping, or maybe God has put in our heart to help. Maybe they're even a stranger and we don't do it. Maybe that was an angel that we left high and dry. One of God's messengers. You say, well, if it was an angel, then I would know exactly what they look like. What does angels look like? No, they look like you and I, especially like me. (laughs) Angels, what do they look like? The Bible tells us you can entertain an angel without even knowing. We have this idea somehow because we've watched, you know, those old programs or we've watched television. And, you know, we have this idea that an angel like carries a sword and all that. And I do know that there's spiritual battle and all that. But we have this idea that angels have wings. And that every time a bell rings, an angel gets a set of wings, you know. And we have all this stuff that what we think angels are supposed to look like. But can I tell you something? The Bible tells us that angels look just like you and I. And that many times, if you will, they're disguised like one of us. And that we can entertain one and we can be in the presence of one and not even know it. But I don't know about you, but that's awesome, isn't it? To know that God has his ministering servants and that angels are among us and around us. There could even be some here today, possibly. And he says, make sure you take care of them. You see what he's saying is this, that love is not only for the people that are in our lives. Love is not only to be demonstrated uh, to the people we know or the people at work, although we should. But what he's saying is understand this. Be reminded there are going to be times where you may be called by God to love someone who's a stranger that you may never see again. But God says, don't be selfish. The scripture says, don't be selfish. Look out for them. Be there for them. It might be the person you help change their tire. The person you may give a few dollars for gas. Well, a few dollars would just be like a fourth of a, of a gallon. You used to be able to say that. He says, take care of them. He says, it's interesting there. He says, Pray for those who are in prison as if you're in prison with them. And then he goes on. Notice what he says. He says, he says, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And so look out for the needs of others. If you were to say to me, Pastor Joe, what's one of your, what's one of your greatest regrets when you look back over your life? And this might sound strange. But immediately, one time, one of my greatest regrets comes to mind. I was in high school, played baseball, football, wrestling, but it was baseball season. We were a few games into the season, and I don't know, maybe five, six games into the season. It was kind of unseasonably warm, and we went, loaded up the bus, and we went to play baseball. And on our way back, we do what all the teams typically do, usually do, especially when it's a longer road trip. And you're dealing with high school guys. You're hungry. So we pulled over. I never forget this. Pulled, the bus driver pulled the bus off. Coach is like, we're going to go in, get some ice cream, grab some stuff. And so uh, we go in, get a burger. You know, got to get a milkshake. You have to have a milkshake. Right? Ice cream. I mean, that's, 
You know, and then you need the French fries, and then you dip the fries into the milkshake, you know. Don't argue with me. I told you I'm an angel, okay? It's heavenly food. As we're sitting on that bus, windows were down. Never forget this. There was a, there was a trailer that was, it looked like, at first you thought homeless. Like, I mean, like, like it, no one's there. Like, it should be condemned. Not to be rude, but it was just complete poverty. And as I looked over, I was like one of the first ones on the bus. I saw this little, this little boy, and he's sitting there. He had a BB gun. And he's just kind of playing with his little BB gun, shooting these cans. But it looked like it should have just been condemned. Yeah, the baseball players started getting on the bus, and as they were getting on the bus, of course, the coaches weren't there. They just start, mali- I mean, you're talking juniors and seniors in high school. Now, let me tell you, I was a sophomore, but it was the varsity team, so I was a sophomore in the varsity team, and most of the team was juniors and seniors, and there was maybe two or three of us that were like sophomores. And so we get on the bus, and all of a sudden, they start harassing and terrorizing Tearing this kid down. I mean, saying the most hurtful things. I mean, horrible things. Mocking him, making fun of him. Because he was poor, about his his house. They started saying horrible things about his mother. I mean, disgusting, you know, think teenage guys, just horrible things. And I'll never forget, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm watching this and I'm hearing this and I see this kid just tears running down his eyes, and he's pumping this BB gun. And at one point, he even picked the gun up like he was going to shoot one of them. I was like, in my mind, I was like, do it, do it, just do it. And I can't believe this little 10, 11-year-old boy had restraint, and he didn't. Because the things that they were saying, it was terrible. And I saw his pain, I saw him. You know what? Finally, after a few, four, five, six minutes, it seemed like it was a half an hour. I finally had the courage to stand up, and I told them all to shut their mouths. And if they say another word, I didn't care if they're a junior or senior. I'm like, we're going to have to go to war. But I felt so bad for him. You know, you know what my biggest regret was that I, because I was selfish and I cared about what the guys thought about me. And I wasn't thinking about his needs. That I sat there and let that boy be tormented and terrorized and hear things that he'll probably never forget. Things that'll bring trauma to him and think, I mean, and when I saw that kid's tears and when I saw him suffering there and I sat there for minutes and did nothing. You know why? Because honestly, that was selfish. What are they going to think about me? I want to fit in with the guys. I didn't participate, but can I tell you, not intervening is just, I was just as guilty as the guys that were participating. I finally got enough courage, and I finally stood up, and was cool as a couple of us other little sophomores. They started actually, like, going, what are you going to do about it? You know, and it was, and then a couple of sophomores stood up, and they were like, he's right. And so we had two or three of us, you know, against like 14, <laughs> you know. But they stopped. They stopped. But you know, the thing is, is I thought how selfish it was of me. True love, true love 
looks for the needs of others. And can I tell you something? As we read in that passage, we help those who are suffering as if we are suffering with them. God's people said, Amen. Amen. He says this, he says, it not only seeks, it does not seek its own, it's not only not selfish, but notice what he says, it says not easily angered, not easily angered or not provoked to anger. I'm just going to spend a few moments on this, but let me say this, true love is not easily angered or not quickly provoked. Let me tell you what it does not say. It does not say that, that love never, ever gets angry. Okay, he says it's not easily angry. The Bible does not say that there's that we're not going to sometimes get angry. It says that we will not that true love is not easily angered or easily. Some versions say are not easily provoked. Look with me in Ephesians chapter four. Hopefully we have these verses for you. If not, I'll read them for you in Ephesians four. Listen to what the Bible says, because I really want us to just take a few moments and look at this. He says, in your anger, does it say you're never going to get angry? In fact, what does the Bible say? You will get angry. Ephesians 4, 26, in your anger, do not sin. So let me ask you this question. Is it okay sometimes to be angry? Is it okay? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, it is okay to be angry. Do you know Jesus got angry? Do you know that Jesus got angry numerous times? Remember in the temple? I mean, Jesus, man, he got with it. He, when he was in the temple, he took the tables and he flipped them and he tossed them. The money went flying everywhere. He was angry. He even, can you imagine this? Jesus made a whip and he chased them out. And can you imagine Jesus literally cracking the whip? Get out of here. You've made my house. You've, you've, you've made a mockery of my house. And Jesus, understand this. People say, well, then Jesus sinned. No, Jesus was angry on purpose and for a purpose. So it's not, we have this idea that if someone gets upset or someone gets angry, oh, well, they sin. No, it, he says, be angry, but don't sin when you're angry. Okay. And then he says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. We'll talk about that in a moment. And do not give the devil a foothold. And so what he says is this, is that Paul says that true, genuine, authentic, Christ-like, biblical love is that we're not easily angry. We don't, we're not quick to fly off the handle. Man, that's convicting. We all struggle with that. But then he does say this. Paul later tells us in Ephesians, as he writes to this church, he says, there's going to be times where you're angry, but don't sin when you're angry. One version says it like this, be angry and sin not. Let me just give you a classic example or an illustration. You know, I'm not going to apologize for this, okay? I'm just going to just speak the truth. I'm just going to say it. I I completely disagree. I believe that according to the scriptures that abortion is wrong, okay? I believe that wholeheartedly. But at the same, and I, it makes me angry. It does. The, the idea that, that even our government, that this nation has come to the point where we fund it and we pay for it, it, it angers me. But can I tell you something at the same time? It does not give us the right for someone to then walk into an abortion clinic with a gun and shoot a doctor. Are you with me? 
It does not give us that right. So that's, I know that's an extreme example, but my point is this. The scripture says, Paul says, be angry, but don't sin in your anger. And we can get upset and we sometimes will raise our voice. I don't think when Jesus got angry, when he flipped the tables that he did it delicately and he laid them down. And when he made the whip, he went, stop, 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 stop. I think Jesus raised his voice a little. Are you with me? And he was angry. And what he was said was truth. Because it was his, they've completely twisted his father's house into something that became nothing more than them getting them greedy and getting rich off of the people. And so Jesus got angry. He didn't go out and kill them. But he was definitely angry. And so we have to understand this is that sometimes that even in Christianity and in church, we sometimes have this idea or it's almost kind of taught that, well, it's, it's, you're not allowed to be angry. And that it's sinful to be angry. No, it's not. Sometimes it's okay to get angry, to be upset. Some things may make us, we might use the term mad. It might make us mad. But how do we handle that? And how do we, do we allow it to, our emotions to take over and then we sin? And so he says, you can be angry, but don't sin when you're angry. So the scripture tells us, Paul says that true love is not easily provoked or easily angry. As we said before, this is an act of God in our lives, that we're patient, we're long-suffering. Real love is not easily provoked. Let me also just mention this, that true, genuine love does not intentionally provoke as well. There's lots of scripture about this, but in Ephesians, Paul says this, he says to the fathers, he says, don't provoke your children to anger or wrath. He says, children, obey your parents and love your parents and honor your parents and obey your parents. But then God does say this too. He says, but parents, don't provoke your kids to wrath. And so true love does not provoke someone to anger or to wrath. In fact, the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath, Solomon said. But true, genuine love is not easily provoked. True, genuine love does not provoke to wrath. It's like this. My, my uh, five-year-old, he likes to kind of tease the dogs. And so uh, he'll kind of provoke them. You want to know something I never want? I'm, I'm not a huge, like, pets in the house and of them. And now... We have this little dog. He's like nine, almost ten. And he's getting old. And he's just cranky. And just... He just like everything. I mean, it doesn't matter. Someone just walks by. He's like... Now, here's the thing. It has no teeth. It has like three left, you know. All of his teeth fell out. But he just... He's like... And then we have two other dogs. My son, who's with us, has a German shepherd... And then my daughter, she thought it was a brilliant idea to add a third dog to the mix, and so she now has a puppy. And then the little five, my five-year-old, he loves, he loves to just provoke them. And so he'll, 
he'll, you know, he'll go up to him and run around and he'll act like he's going to throw something or he'll, whatever. And then all of a sudden, of course, the, little, the, the, the cranky one, the old one, his name is Woofy. Woof, Woofy. Woofy's like, rah, rah, and we laugh. We're like, what's he going to do? And then Micaiah doesn't quite understand and he just thinks it's the funniest thing and he'll just start giggling and laughing. And the dog, you can kind of tell the dog's kind of like, well, what are you, you know, what are you, what are you laughing at? You know, and this little snaggle tooth sticking out, you know. But once in a while, it'll like lunge at him and like bark. Now, he, did, he has no clue. He thinks it's just hilarious. But here's the thing. If you provoke that animal, get it angry, eventually it's, you know, it's going to do something. It's going gonna, it's gonna to bark. It's going to snap. Sometimes dog will bite. You know, we have to be careful in our relationships that we don't provoke people to a point that they snap. Are you with me? True love does not do that. True love does not intentionally push the buttons. True love, on the other hand, realizes that it is wrong for me to push buttons. Kids, don't push your parents' buttons. But they're all like, it's just so easy. <laughs> and it's so much fun. True love does not push buttons does not provoke. In fact, the Bible says true love is not easily angry. That be put up with a lot. Amen? True love is not easily angry. Notice the next statement. We'll finish. But it says this. It keeps no records of wrongs. True love keeps no records of wrong. It means this, that true love is not resentful or hold a grudge. Do you notice in Ephesians 4, 26, it says, be angry, don't sin. But it goes on to say this in verse 27. It talks about, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. What does it mean by that? Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. It means this, don't hold grudges. Don't hold grudges. You know, so many times I've seen people, well, <laughs> will say, do you remember that time? 28 years ago, the sun was setting. It was 7.03 in the evening. There was a wind blowing from the north, northwest. There was the smell of lilacs in the air. And you're like, I don't even remember what happened yesterday. Do you remember that time? Do you remember what you said? And you're like, I have no clue. They're like, I remember. True love has no records of wrongs. Come on now. Remember that time? Remember you said this? Do you remember that one time you did that and you did this? And you remember this time and you remember that time? Guys, this may be convicting, but that's not true love. True love does not let the sun go down upon your wrath. It means it doesn't hold a grudge. You're not resentful. Corey Ten Boom, anybody ever hear of her? She lived during the Holocaust. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place, powerful book. And she was in hiding, I believe, for a number of years. And then later, her family, they were all captured, 
taken to concentration camps. And her testimony is, is powerful. But this is what she, one of her quotes. She speaks a lot on forgiveness, spoke a lot on forgiveness. Obviously, she had to, to struggle with that. There was a time where she was actually speaking in a church. And as she was speaking in a church, she was speaking on the subject of forgiveness. And as she looked back, one of the, the people, one of the men in the church were actually one of the, the, the Nazi soldiers that were, was guarding her. And she remembers every aspect, how she had to come in and take off all of her clothes and, and how he laughed and mocked her and tormented her and her sister. And, and she shares that every bit of that emotion that popped back up. And as she was speaking, the man came forward and didn't even realize that he had done this to her. But she knew exactly who he was. She said, I'll never forget him. And she said at that moment, her body froze and she, she was just numb. And she didn't even, and she had to pray and ask God to help her. And he came up and he basically says to her, I, I did horrible things and I was a, a guard and I was a soldier. And he says, will you forgive me? And she said her, her hand just was stuck there. And if you, powerful testimony. And she does by the, miraculous grace of God, love that man and she forgives him. But this is a quote that she says. She says this, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs, listen to this, the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness in the shackles of selfishness. Corey Ten Boom. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment in the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness in the shackles of selfishness. True, genuine, biblical love is not a feeling. It is not an emotion. It is not just a romance, but it is a choice. Amen? True, genuine, agape, Christ-like love chooses to not be selfish. It chooses to not be easily angry. It chooses to not hold a list of the the wrongs. It chooses to forgive. And all God's people said this morning, amen. Would you stand with me? Aren't you thankful that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ forgives us, amen? And that he does not hold a list of wrongs that we've committed But because of his grace and his mercy, he forgives us. Amen. That's true, genuine love. Love, say it with me. Love is a what? Love is a choice. Let's pray. Lord, I pray.